Welcome to our first episode of Ask Jess, although I have done this live stream in the past a couple of years ago. This is the first 2023 Ask Jess segment. So I am Jess Marcy. I am a clutter coach. And during this live Ask Jess, I will answer one or two questions from the audience or our group, something that somebody specifically asks or something that we pull out every week. If you are interested in learning more about the work that we do or starting uh, with our foundational habits and, you know, learning where to go, make sure you join Clutter Bootcamp, which starts on August 1st. You can go to jessmarcy.com slash bootcamp to sign up there. Uh, that's where we teach all of the basic skills to start moving forward. Hello, everyone who's joining us. Hi, thank you. <laughs> I'm sitting outside today, which is actually... We do have bad air quality. I probably shouldn't be sitting outside now that I think about it. That's all right. It's not horrible. <laughs> um, it's nice to be outside when you can. Okay. So our question that came in today that we are going to talk through is how do we get our family on board? This is a really good question. I've been decluttering with you for over a year and I've made progress. That's really good news. <laughs> now I want to start to make my living room a place I love and I want to welcome friends to come over. However, my young adult daughter, her boyfriend, boyfriend and my beautiful, sweet 19-month-old grandson live with me. I don't mind the toys, but not their drop zones in the living room. I've tried modeling active decluttering, donating my items, and reducing the flow in. Any suggestions? Thank you. This is a really good question. And I love, so the person who asked this question has already been working with us. So the first piece of advice that I would give, which you are already doing, is make sure that you declutter your own stuff first. So I think a lot of us, when we start decluttering or we think about the clutter in our house, we tend to want to assign blame to other people, which is, I'm sure, valid uh, because everyone brings stuff into the house. But we can only declutter our own stuff. So the advice that we give is always start with your things first, get control over your spaces. And usually over time, other family members see what you're doing. They like the changes and they will copy that, you know, with time. That being said, everyone is on their own timeline uh, and sometimes that timeline is much longer than we would like. And we get into frustrating situations like this. Like, how do I get my family on board for spaces like the living room? Um, so since you've already dealt with your own stuff and you're modeling the behavior, I think the next point is to figure out a communication strategy that actually works. And <laughs> this can be tricky. It can be frustrating and it can take a little bit of time also, but um, it's easier to do other stuff. Yes, it is easy. Okay. I'm going to back up for a second here. There is a comment here. It's easier to declutter other people's stuff. That is true, but it is number one, not the right thing to do because throwing somebody else's stuff out or removing their stuff, especially without their permission can be traumatizing or re-traumatizing. So we have to make sure that we proceed with caution when we're talking about other people's stuff. Uh, and there's so much that we can learn about ourselves when we go through this process with our stuff, we learn what is most important to us. We learn how to prioritize our sanity. We learn so much that this process, as difficult as it is, is so worth doing for you. Doing with yourself for yourself. Does that, does that make sense? Hello, hello. 
So, okay. Thank you for that comment. Um, when we have been already decluttering our stuff, we have our areas under control. And when I say our areas in our homes, we have spaces that are ours exclusively. For example, your space in the closet, your dresser, uh, the top of your dresser, you know, those spaces are spaces that you have executive control over. In homes where we don't define who has control over the space, those spaces tend to get cluttered. So think about a garage. Usually the garage has no one who is responsible for it. So everyone dumps their stuff in the garage and then no one is responsible to clean it up. So just assigning different areas of responsibility can help alleviate some of the situation. Uh, but there are areas like living rooms that tend to be everyone's responsibility. So how do we maintain those spaces in a way that makes everybody who's living there feel comfortable? And that is where it comes down to communication. So finding the right way to, and maybe communication and boundaries also, finding the right way. And when I say the right way, I mean the way that works best for you to communicate with the other people in your family is key. If you're listening to this and asking these questions, you probably have not found the right method of communication just yet. But don't lose hope because <laughs> there's a lot of different ways to move forward with communication. A couple of strategies that we talk about a lot are number one, try putting your expectations, try to be clear about your expectations first. So it's easy to know what we expect of others, but if we don't explicitly tell other people what the expectations are, it's hard for them to meet those expectations. Um, sometimes like with my children, if I'm frustrated and I share my expectations in a really frustrated way, they don't even hear what the expectations are because they're upset that I'm frustrated. So learning how to change my communication with my kids has been really important. What I do with my children is I actually write down exactly what I expect of them when it comes to like picking up the house and stuff like that. Uh, and I ask them to do very specific things, even if it's, I've asked them to do it a hundred times before I'm very clear with my expectations because nobody else is a mind reader. Um, and that's, a, there's something called an expectation hangover. When you have an expectation, you don't share it and then it's not met. And then you feel this sense of deflation because your expectation wasn't met, but nobody knew, even if you may have said it before, <laughs> uh, nobody absorbed the information um, in a meaningful way. So number one, be very clear in your living room about what your expectations are. Spell it out, um, probably in a way that's not really frustrated. Like, so, you know, be in a good mind space and emotional state when you write down or verbally communicate what the expectation is. And I would say also, um, be as explicit with your expectations as possible. So instead of saying, I want the living room to remain picked up, how about every day at the end of the day before 8 p.m., I want everything picked up and put away. That way, and maybe 8 p.m. is when you sit down and watch your favorite show and unwind for the day. And you don't want to sit down and see 
their stuff everywhere, right? So be really explicit with a timeline, <laughs> uh, timelines help about what the expectation is. And then once you share your expectation, it's time for you to be an active listener. So an active listener is somebody who actively listens to the response. <laughs> so instead of putting the expectation out there and then if they say, I can't do this or this is unreasonable or whatever, and you're like, you know, you want to really actively listen to try and understand exactly what they're saying in response to you. One way that you can be an active listener is to repeat back the last couple of sentences that somebody shared with you. So, and say, am I understanding this correctly? And then put it into your own words. Um, so you can share, I want to, I want the living room to be cleaned up every night by 8 p.m. And then maybe the person says to you, well, that's, you know, my grand, that's your, was it grandson or granddaughter? Oh, that's, uh, you know, so-and-so's bedtime and it's hard to get it done by then. Uh, instead of, you know, make sure that you listen to what they're saying and then brainstorm a solution together. That's one communication strategy. Sending an email is also really good. <laughs> I like to put stuff in writing, an email or a text message. Uh, that can be helpful. Um, another thing in general that I find is very disarming uh, is to do a compliment sandwich. So the compliment sandwich is something that I learned from observing a second grade classroom. And I watched these second graders learn this concept and then actually act it out with their peers. And I suddenly had this light bulb moment, like, why don't I do this with my husband? <laughs> uh, so a compliment sandwich is basically where you say something nice and then share what your expectation is or criticism uh, and then end with a positive. So it's positive and then the action thing and then positive. So with a significant other, you might say, you might start by recognizing all of the stuff that this person does do for your family and for your house and whatever. So I, you know, I recognize that you work every day and it, you come home and it's, you're exhausted and you just want to relax. I really appreciate that you put in so much effort going to work every day for our family. It would be really helpful for me if, you know, we spent 15 minutes together just picking up the living room because it's stressing me out tremendously. Uh, so I hope that this, you understand that I still am really appreciative of what you do every day for us. And um, just thank you for all the ways that you support our family, right? It just comes across so differently than getting frustrated and clean up this mess, right? Like that's just, <laughs> nobody wants to listen to that. Um, and listen, I am talking to you as a, recovered yeller, <laughs> recovering, uh, frustrated uh, all the time, like just did not know how to deal with all this stuff. So changing your communication, whatever that looks like, can be really, really helpful. And I would say to the person who wrote in this question, start with clear expectations, and try to alter the way that you're communicating those expectations. And if you could just let me know next week how this goes, <laughs> that would be really helpful. I see that there is a lot of comments here. Um, how do you cope with a significant other that doesn't want to declutter as much as you do? Um, so again, we just go back to work on what you can work on first and foremost, 
if you get to the point where you really need help making decisions, you might need to work with this significant other uh, in a way that is in very small chunks. So for example, my husband never wants to declutter anything. He just doesn't care about the clutter. It's, it's like not even in his, like he ha- doesn't see it. It doesn't bother him. So when I need him to help me make a decision about something or when there's something of his that I need him to make a decision on, I just put it in one spot and just say, can you just tell me yes or no on this? And that's it. And then I take care of actually decluttering it because he's not going to do it. And that's okay. He does a lot of other stuff, uh, but just little chunks at a time. I can get 30 second answers, no problem. But if I say we have to declutter the whole closet this weekend, there's just no way that's going to happen because it's not a priority for him. It's a priority for me. So I have learned over the years to recognize that we have differing priorities. And if I want to make progress on his stuff, I need to really chunk it down into small bits for him. Um, And that's worked well for us. So finding what works well for you with your significant other is key. Um, And just don't have the expectation that everyone is going to be on the same page about this because there is nothing in life that we are always all on the same page about. Um, How can I be so organized in certain areas of my home, but my basement attic and areas that I don't spend a lot of time in just tend to become stay zones, maybe because it's such a big job. Yeah, I think basements and attics uh, and areas that you don't spend a lot of time in, it's one of those out of sight, out of mind. So it's very easy for them to become stay zones, especially attics and basements can be cold or hot or difficult to work in, difficult to get to. Uh, usually you have to lug boxes and bins up out of those spaces. So it's a lot of physical labor also. When you have big spaces that need to be de- decluttered, you can either do it all in one go, like spend a weekend doing it, which I don't love because typically it's going to take way longer than we think it's going to take. And then we end up creating temporary chaos because we've pulled everything out. We didn't have enough time to actually sort it, declutter it, organize it, and put it away. Uh, So then it just feels worse than it did when it started. I prefer to do like consistent action every day, maybe one box a day, one bin a day, one box a week, something like that. Just consistently build it into your schedule so you get it done a little bit at a time. And then also make sure that you're not recluttering the areas unnecessarily. So don't use the basement or attic or these areas you don't go into your house as your, well, I'll just put it in there because out of sight, out of mind. Uh, Do your future self a favor and force yourself to make a decision. Don't use that as like, you know, like you're like, oh, I can just decide later. When you choose to decide later, you're still making a decision. And it's one that comes to bite you in the butt later on. So don't, um, don't give yourself that out because it's not really an out. Force yourself to make the decision. We can do hard things. We can make hard decisions. Also knowing when you make your best decisions, when you're strongest at decision-making can be helpful. For me, that's usually mid morning to early afternoon. I'm not great at making decisions when I first wake up. And then by the end of the day, my decision fatigue is at an all-time high, right? Because we make about 60,000 decisions every single day. So I am really good, like from 10 a.m. to 1 or 2 p.m. during the day is my four-hour window of when I usually can make a good decision. And if I have to think about things and make decisions that feel exhausting, 
I will wait until that window of opportunity and make the decisions then. Making a lot of decisions actually does deplete your resources. So a lot of times we can feel tired at the end of the day from decision-making because our brains use more oxygen and glucose than any other organ in our body. And when we make a decision, <laughs> we're actually exhausting those resources that give us energy. So it truly does wear you out to make a lot of decisions. So know yourself, know when you make great decisions. For some people, a lot of people who struggle with clutter also identify as night owls. Night owls have a completely different circadian rhythm and usually do better with decision making at night. So know yourself and optimize work to your strengths when it comes to decision making. Um, all right. I'm working on my tone of voice. <laughs> it was ingrained in me from a strict parent. Yes. Right. How often have we heard ourselves and thought, oh my gosh, that was my mother. That was my father. Um, good news is our brains are, have a lot of plasticity, which means they can change. We can change. The way we are is not set in stone and we can always try and do differently. So, so much of decluttering is just about approaching things from a different way, a different mindset than we were raised with, a different way of communicating, a different way of making decisions and learning about ourselves and learning how we can grow and change. All right. So this was our first Ask Jess episode. If you have questions for next week, we will be back same day, same time. Make sure you set your alarms. Tell Siri, I can't say it too loudly because my phone is going to, uh, to remind you next week, 1 p.m. Eastern, which is 12 Central, 11 Mountain, 10 Pacific, inside of our Facebook group. And don't forget to grab your spot in our upcoming Clutter Bootcamp, where we spend the whole week together learning how to actually declutter. So it's $10 for the week. 100% so worth it. If you go to jessmarcy.com slash bootcamp, you can sign up there. And if you bring a friend, you can save $5, two for $15. Sherry, nice to see you. <laughs> All right. I look forward to tuning in again with everybody next week. Same time, same place. Have a great day. Go declutter something. <laughs> Bye for now.